temple begins to empty. People attempt to barge past each other in their enthusiasm. Asha curls herself into a ball, afraid of what she is seeing from her fellows. Is the potential for this behaviour in all of them, within her? Here in the corner she feels an element of safety, and as people depart, the manic energy that has built up leaves the temple, a change in the air beyond the chill of moontime. Asha feels unwilling to move until there is utter silence around her. She finally stands in the empty temple, unable to speak, unable to understand what she has just seen. But the temple is not completely empty. Stood in the central aisle, draped in vestments, stands the Renok himself. He glances over to her, and she realises that this is the first time she has been alone with this man. What a surprise to see you, not satisfied with bawling at me in the streets, or have you finally decided to join us? Join you? I would have no part of, of this. Then why are you here? Just idle curiosity? Of course not. I came to... As the words linger on her lips, she realises how ridiculous they sound. But Apius is not willing to let them go. You came to stop me. Is that right, Asher? How do you know my name? It's quite easy enough to find out. Besides, it is worth knowing your opposition. I would not want to see my cause damaged in any way. You consider this a cause? This is a squandering of resources to vanity. Vanity and empty words. <laughs> you will see just how empty they are in time. Enough people have flocked here to the temple. Do you think they consider my words empty? No, but their minds must be. Asher, really? Judging so many of your fellows to be buffoons just because they happen to believe in something more than we can see? Something more than drowning in hardship? So the answer is revelry, feasting and games. What does that solve? Do you truly think that any god would enjoy watching their children grow like this? Toiling away in fields over plants that have yet to sprout? Building a village that is little more than a circle of huts? Developing tools to make that same labour quicker? Is that a fit life for the children of gods? And what do you know of these gods' apias? What makes you so wise in their ways? Have you seen the Animex? Spoken with them? Heard this from them? I know what I say is true. I feel them smile upon me. <laughs> Your followers might swallow such nonsense, Renuk, but I know what you are doing. Apius says the next with his mind, not with his tongue, but the touch of it. Ageris's mental hand upon her was gentle, uninvasive. The words Apius places into her are scalding, each letter and syllable a burning brand. You see nothing. It has already begun, and I will see it through to the end. Asher reels backwards, sighing with relief as the clutching mind grip of Apius releases self. Without another word, spoken or thought, she dashes from the temple. Greetings, pod people, and welcome to another instalment of Strangers to the Multiplex. As always, we'd appreciate you taking the time to download and listen. We'd like to film a podcast um, as more than just about movies. It's about popular culture. And so today, briefly, we leave the dark and gloom of the multiplex and find solace in Hush the Reading Room. You will have heard of an extract at the top of the broadcast of the upcoming novel, The Last War, which is available now via ebook. I'm joined at this time by a man who wears many hats event planner, film critic, publisher mogul, and successful author, if I can say that, to name quite a few. Alex, how are you holding up under that introduction? Very good. Mogul is, has never been applied before. That's all new, I must admit. We'll have to copyright that or something. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we're talking today because you're about to parade all of those hats in oh. one sitting. Like the upcoming Edge Lit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that takes place on Saturday the 11th of July. 
um, at the Quad in Derby. Mm -hmm. Tickets are £30, mm -hmm. and that starts at 10 o'clock. Tickets are available from the Quad box office or at the Quad website. Mm. Okay, um, so for people who aren't familiar with Edgelet, why don't you tell me a little about how it works and what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Edgelet is a one-day uh, festival of, of science fiction, fantasy and horror writing. Um, it's been running for four years now, this is our fourth, uh, fourth running. Um, and basically what we try and do is we cram uh, all sorts of things into the day we have discussion panels, we have uh, readings with uh, some of our top uh, guests of honour, we have workshops running throughout the day. Um, basically, if you are a writer uh, with an interest in, in, in genre fiction or uh, a reader who is, who is very partial to their genre fiction, um, be a day well worth uh, attending. Um, I think we've got our best lineup ever this year, um, which has been largely thanks to some fantastic support from the publishing world and, and people wanting to um, stay on board, which has been fantastic. Um, but yeah, so we, we absolutely, it's, it's 10 till 10. It's a long day. It's a long day for me, more than it is for anyone else. Uh, it's, um, it's, um, it's something that people have really taken to. Um, people travel from unbelievable. I mean, someone, someone travelled from America last year to come to Derby for a day to come and do this thing. It's just when you hear that, then that's, that's unbelievable. You've certainly built a brand. Um, people have come before, and obviously they keep coming back year after year. Mm -hmm. I think that's to your credit. It's obviously a very accessible weekend. Uh, that, that for me, that for me was the aim because I think that there are a lot of sort of science fiction conventions around, and I think there, there were two things that that struck me when I started going to a few. One of which was um, it, it, some events are sort of so big, you think, "Wow, I'm, I'm really overawed by this." Like the minute I walk in, I'm feeling like there's so much going on. There's so many people here. Um, you know, do, do I really know anyone? You know, I think sometimes that's quite a difficult thing to get into. And I think secondly, I, for me, the, the thing I wanted to do was, was books, just, was just pure and simple. And um, having, having been to various conventions, and um, one, one of my very first convention experiences, I won't, I won't name the convention, um, was seeing um, a guy dressed up as Pikachu picking a fight with a guy dressed up as a Stormtrooper. It's just the most surreal way you sort of walk in on a Friday night and go, that, okay, that's happening. Uh, what on earth is that about? Um, <laughs> Do you have to ask who won? Uh, <laughs> I didn't stick out. I don't know if anyone won. No one wins that fight. Um, <laughs> We're all losers. <laughs> We're all losers, though. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but I think the thing for me was, you know, and absolutely, a lot of people love that, which is fantastic. So more, more power to them. But for me, my, my focus was, was books and writing. That's what I've always enjoyed. Um, so for me, it was, it was kind of trying to do something that was really zoomed in on that and we, you know, we sort of took away all those all those other elements um, that are done that are done elsewhere so we were sort of really dr drilling down to the core of saying hey you know if you're a reader if you're a writer if this is your bag this is the thing to be at it's like uh, literature concentrated absolutely yeah exactly that exactly that and that, that was genre yeah absolutely I mean, that, the thing is that was, that was my background that was you know, I was coming from the background of running literature festivals and, and poetry nights and that's uh, writing groups and that was I was going from that background more than the sort of fandom convention side of things. So that's kind of what I wanted, the, the sort of sheen that I wanted to, to lend the event, really. Sure. And it's evident, it evidently resonates with people because it's proved incredibly popular and gets bigger every year. It does indeed, yes. So there's a lovely graph of that which keeps going through. This year's going to be, this year is already going to be bigger than last year because we've already sold more than we sold last year, um, which, is, which is great to see. Um, and I think we've, we've not got a whole stack of tickets left, so it's going to be a hell of a day. It's going to be a hell of a day.
Um, and I think what part of that has been this year is just the, the guests of honour we've got in the bag. I mean, to, to land someone like Joanne Harris as your headliner was just kind of, I almost fell out of my chair when, when, when that email came through. Um, Would you talk me through who's going to be on? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, guests of honour. Um, so they're our sort of headliners. Uh, if you imagine this as a, a music festival, they're our headliners. Um, you say Joanne Harris, um, who's so well known for, for all her literary books. Um, her new title is The Gospel of Loki, which is a, a fantasy novel inspired by... Nordic mythology, and she was very keen to kind of talk about that aspect of, of her writing. Uh, John Conley, who's a very well-known thriller and horror writer, author of the Charlie Parker Mysteries, um, Nocturnes, which is just being made as a BBC radio drama. Fantastic book that is as well. Um, we've got Mike Carey, um, very well-known comic writer, obviously. Um, did X-Men, yeah, absolutely. Constantine. Um, Lucifer, which is made into TV Absolutely, show now. absolutely. And his, his, the, uh, his new book, the, the Girl with All the Gifts, is presently being made into a film. Uh, Glenn Close and Gemma Arterton. So oh. I know he's been on set and posted some photos, uh, so he's very happy. Um, but he's yeah, he's fantastic. He's 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 been uh, to the event before, and he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, we have Samantha Shannon, whose uh, debut book, The Bone Season, uh, hit all sorts of bestseller lists, and that's already in process um, as a film with Andy Serkis's um, film company so that's that's looking very exciting as well I'm sure Andy will probably have some part in it in, the, in that situation um, we also have Paul McCauley who's a massive um, science fiction writer uh, has been the award winning author for, for more years than I can um, shake a stick at and, uh, and Claire North uh, who uh, just won the John W. Campbell Award for her first uh, book the 15 no the first 15 Lives of Harry August I can never get that right but uh, she's, um, she's written under various pen names before, and this is the one that uh, seems to have done, done the best. So, um, wonderful stuff. Like we said previously, all very accessible. So if you are a fan of these people, it's mm. worth coming down. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think the thing, what's fascinating about the list this year in particular is, you know, someone like, like Claire North, take for an example, she was, that was a Richard and Judy book club selection. These are, these are not books that are kind of... Oh, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit niche. I'm not, am I really going to get into that? It's like someone like Joanne Harris. I mean, you can't, in terms of, you know, the sort of literary profile, Joanne is is usually well known and well read. Um, we've got Jenny Colgan coming along, who's who's you know previously been known for her um, uh, women's contemporary women's fiction. She's got a new um, science fiction book out, um, and she was really keen to come to the event and talk about that. So it's it's. This year more than ever, I think it's accessible to, to, to people who may not have a great knowledge or great awareness or might just have a vague interest in the genre. And obviously as well, it's, it's a chance to get in on workshops and try for yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The workshops are, are phenomenally popular. Um, last year we, uh, we ran our usual one thread of workshops and found we were so inundated. Uh, so we're we running two threads of workshops this year. So we've got more, more workshops than ever before. They're great interactive sessions. If you want to have a go at writing, um, you know, there's some fantastic stuff. I mean, there's a session which is going to be about um, publishing contracts, which I don't know anyone has ever done a session about, not to my awareness. Um, you know, we've got Mike uh, Carey will be talking about the difference between dialogue in comics and prose. There's some really interesting subjects that are pro- probably a bit, um, yeah, a bit out of the ordinary for people. You know, I'm sure yeah, there's a lot of great writing workshops out there, but you do find that topics kind of come up again and again because people do want to know about those things but as a more specialist event these are great subjects to get into so the advice is to get here early (laughs) yes absolutely yeah uh yes the workshops um are are book on arrival so basically if you're thinking to yourself i really want to get to that 
uh, doors open at 10, your best bet is to, you know, your best bet is, is to camp overnight, um, stay outside the venue, no it's not, your best <laughs> bet is to be reasonably <laughs> early to, to make sure you get out. As I said, we've got those two threads of workshops, so if you can't, you can't get into every single one you want, there are so many workshops throughout the day, um, so yeah do, yeah, do try and get there early if you've got your eye on one. Excellent. We were talking earlier about you've been a very busy man on the day because mm. you're not just there as your capacity as organiser. <laughs> no, not this uh, You're also there representing your own publishing arm, mm. which is Boo Books. Yes, yeah. Tell me a little about what wares you will be um, promoting that day. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we've got a book launch, um, first of all, for The Electric, which um, has a very strong film angle, actually, funnily enough. It's um, stories set in an abandoned cinema which plays movies made by ghosts for ghosts um, that's that's the tagline that i was originally sold the book on i went oh that sounds interesting that's <laughs> i like the sound of that um so we have um the, the ghosts of hollywood actors past um starring in new films that they've made in the afterlife so it's and you have these kind of dream teams of actors who never coincided in, in real life um, you have sort of silent comedian Harold Lloyd alongside John Belushi in a comedy film. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful premise. Um, but but set against that is um, a sort of real coming of age story, which is kind of uh, sort of very dandelion wine, very stand by me, uh, kind of nostalgic, harkening back to childhood. Um, so that's a, a phenomenal book, and um, we've had a hardback of that out, which has practically sold out. So the paperback has not long been out, so we're, we're promoting that at the event. Um, we're also promoting our new science fiction anthology, which is called We Can Improve You, which is on the theme of augmentation. So people adding new elements themselves, augmenting their brains, augmenting their physical, uh, their physical bodies. Um, and it's a fantastic range of stories and read some fantastic um, quotes from authors who, who've already read it and, and loved it, which is Absolutely. great. I think it's worth name-checking that the electric's actually written by Andrew David Barker. Indeed. Name Seems to, to be a friend of the show, I'm sure. Absolutely. He's well worth looking out for. We're, we're already talking about his next book, which is, again, has quite another film link. So, uh, Excellent. And also, it's worth mentioning that your apology, you've actually edited it yourself, haven't you? I've edited it with my very good friend, Brian Marshall. Again, yes. another friend of the show. Another friend, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it was, it, he, he came to me with the idea. I was like, yeah, that sounds really exciting. Also, obviously, having a, a science fiction event with a science fiction element, it, it uh, is nice for us to be able to have a science fiction release there that I think will be of interest to, to a lot of people. So. And it, I guess it just bears repeating that these books are available for the, rather the anthology is available for the first time at um, actually. It is indeed, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The Electric's out uh, out now. Just to, literally today we had a review in Starburst magazine, which was great. They gave us nine, star, nine stars out of ten, or S's out of ten, or whatever it is they award. Um, nine out of ten, um, which we were really happy with. So yeah, that's, um, that's doing do great in the wider, yeah, in the wider marketplace. Okay, well, the rest of the publishing hat for a second then, mm -hmm. on your author hat. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would have thought for yourself, the highlight of the day might be there, being in attendance as an author for your upcoming novel, which mm. is The Last War. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that's been a sort of crazy journey, really, but... Um, I had a publisher for that a long time ago. Um, the publisher then went very quiet and then went bust, which which sucked, frankly. Um, so I think it's something I'd been dreaming of and wanting to do for so long. Um, uh, and I had sort of, that was a real knock, I mean, honestly, and I sort of, I sat on the book for a while, didn't really do anything with it. And I just started talking about it on Facebook and um, uh, Gary Compton, who runs Tickety Boo Press, who are now publishing it, said, well, that sounds interesting, can I take a look? Um, so I sent him the manuscripts across, 
sat twiddling my thumbs nervously as authors are, are prone to do when they're waiting for a reply from people um, and he didn't keep me waiting long thankfully it was only about a week uh, or so when he came back to me and said hey loving this let's, let's do it and um, not only let's do it let's do a trilogy which is even better so that was cha-ching uh, cha-ching <laughs> I think, I think it's, it, it, the thing that was so exciting about that for me was yeah cha-ching is not really what I thought uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the long term it's the chance to be able to write something and, and follow those characters and um, really try and sort of cement your, your place I think as, yes. as a writer um, make your mark yes yeah, it, I think there's a lot of writers there's a lot of very good writers who, who have unfortunately been, been one hit wonders for, for whatever reason um, so to have the chance to put three out there um, is, is really exciting stuff uh, can't wait can't wait well it would, it would be stupid to struggle with the notion that we're not a movie uh, podcast mm-hmm. so what I'd like you to do is sell your new novel the last four mm-hmm. to me in a movie tagline if possible. Okay, okay. Um, well, I've I've been thinking about this one. There's two there's two two ways I wanted to. Um, I was looking at this. I was thinking, what is it? What is it like? Because the, the, the thing I've tried to do with it is, is it's kind of an origin story. So it's about the very earliest days of the civilization. So I think the nearest thing I could draw it to is something like the Martian Chronicles, Ray Bradbury, which is fantastic. One of my absolute favourite books. Um, but I think that was interesting. That I think there's probably a little bit of something like. Um, sort of Warhammer 40k in there as well I think there's a bit of that sort of like the whole sort of universe being against you and sort of this battle for survival which is just a constant thing so I think there was a sort of pinch of, of, of that in the um, in the mix as well um, as a movie tagline I think it's about it's about the tension between the physical combat and mental combat I think that was the thing for me is it's all about is it more what's what's more dangerous, the mind or the body? What's a better weapon, the mind or the body? That's my fantastic. <laughs> I like that. Just for somebody who's never heard of the book before, never read a blurb or anything like that, can you give us a brief outline of, of the actual story itself? What's it about? Yeah, absolutely. The characters. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Well, basically, um, we we start off with a new uh, alien species who are recently um, arrived on the planet by uh, the name of the Nukari. That's there. Uh, title and basically what it's about is part of the story is about religion um, it's about how that kind of shapes very early civilizations and some of the tensions that arise with that it's also about um, this kind of the elephant in the room is, is this is this telepathy that they have which we've, we've hinted at in that reading earlier on um, and no one knows what that is no one talks about it no one explores it really it, it's it, it's something that comes to place a big part in the novel um, as it as it as it wears on um so really it's about uh, a civilization that is at the verge of sort of tearing itself apart before it's even before it's even begun really um and we have sort of yes climactic final scene that sort of that brings everything to a head um but it's, yeah, the, the reason of the calling... Because a lot of people have said to me, it's the first book in the series, why have you called it The Last War? Uh, and the thing I'd, I'd say to that is the idea is that the, the Nukari as a species are not warriors in, in the sort of bigger scheme of things. They're not fighters, they're not there to fight, they're there to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. And so the, kind of the idea being that they shouldn't be fighting at all. You know, they should be the last, yeah, the last war they ever have. So, sure. Yeah. Um... We've, we've talked a bit, a bit about how you, how you set out to write this, but where did the germ of the idea come from? I was reading through um, the first couple of chapters, and I got a very strong vibe of sort of the uh, Garden of Eden 
mm. or perhaps people hijacking um, religion for their own Yeah, beliefs. absolutely, absolutely. How uh, did you come about to write this story? What was the idea behind it? I think, I mean, the, my, my, Gary, my publisher actually described to me, said it's really biblical, and I thought, I'm so glad you said that, because that's what I was going for. <laughs> um, it, it, it's... I think the thing for me is I really, I really like science fiction, uh, but I think sometimes it gets a bit too high-tech for my liking. And I think actually what I really want to do is strip that back and say, look, here is a science fiction story which has clear science fiction elements, but it's really low-tech, it's really basic. It's, it's like, you know, this is kind of the equivalent of cavemen coming out of their caves for the first time, you know, trying to build a village. They're literally trying to build a village and, and, and farm some food and, and make a life for themselves, which I, I don't think I've seen done before that much um, so it gave me an interesting chance to play with some characters it gave me an interesting chance to play with some of those tensions and I think the, 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 the religious thing it, I, I started writing I thought I didn't really want it to be a book that's it's not it's, I don't, I honestly don't think it's an anti-religious book no. but it's a book about people sometimes who, who sometimes people use religion I think it's probably fair enough to say that is you know they use religion to their own ends and their own and their own benefits. And I suppose what I wanted to drive at with, with this book really is actually what happens when there's a society which has a religious element versus an anti-religious element. And what, what happens there? You know, if you think about very early civilizations, most people tend to row in with the religion and say, yeah, you know, we, we're, we're a part of this, brilliant. Um, but I wanted to kind of play with that idea of, well, what if not everyone? The character of Asha, uh, who was featured in the mm. first extract, extract you read, is, yeah. she has a very modern view, doesn't she? She's kind of, she has kind of modern cynicism to her about yeah. religion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it, the, one of the questions that I think I try to drive at really is actually, you know, this, this, the, the, the Animex who are mentioned there um, are, have sort of created the, the Nukari, seeded them in the, in the very early part of the book. Um, and the question then is, does that, does that make them gods or not? And that's kind of one of the key conceits of the book is, well, yeah, they, are, they have created you, they have made you uh, in their own image, but does that imply a sort of godhood? Does that reply, uh, imply a, a status as a deity? Or is it just, you know, they're, they're more, they're like us, but they're more advanced than we are? And I think that's, that's, that's sort of that's Ash's approach, really, is to say, well, actually, do, you know, if they, do they, you know... APS is there to say they want our worship, they want to talk to us, they want to hear us, and Asher's say, well, do, well, do they? How do we know that? <laughs> you know, how, what evidence of that do we have? So. Oh, we, we were talking earlier, and obviously this is the first part of a much bigger story. Mm, mm. You're, you're, you're writing the second part already, I understand. Oh, indeed, yes, absolutely, yes, uh, with, a, with a September deadline, so it's, it's, getting, on, it's getting on its way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, the idea is it's a trilogy, basically. Um, with which kind of building up towards a, a very grand um, finale, which is going to be rather sort of action packed. Um, so I think the, the second and third book are going to be quite different uh, again from the first. Um, but again, it's, it's this game of survival that they're, that they're playing. And really, in book two and book three, what we start to see is like in book one, the danger is from within, is from within themselves. And then in book two and book three, we start to see the danger that is elsewhere. And the danger that is around them and sort of is just waiting there, um, and then that comes into play an awful lot more in book three. Um, book two, I, 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 sh- I showed my wife the, uh, the, the the pitch I wrote to book two. So I think that's a bit like Empire Strikes Back, isn't it? So, yeah, okay, it is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. <laughs> it is, because I remember. It then I thought yeah, Empire Strikes Back's awesome, so that's no, no problem for me. That it's a bit. Fine, no, it, 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 it's a strange thing because book two, you have to 
almost go back to basics a bit because book one you need to kind of hook the reader in with something dramatic and, and, and sort of uh, quite immediate book two you have to kind of build up for book three you can't just say well I'm going to make book two bigger and more explosive than book one because then what do you do for book three so there's a real kind of and I think that I used Empire Strikes Back as the perfect example of that it's a real it's a great film but it's the moment you get more into the characters it's more about the kind of betrayal and what it's more about what people do than blowing up the Death Star. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's a very different kind of What's film. What's else to do in life? Yeah, absolutely. But it also tees up book three, and that's the thing I'm going to be doing very much at the end of the book, is, is really kind of, okay, let's line up that scene that, that gets us all primed for that third, the epic conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like you're going to be spending a lot of time with these characters in the mm. this universe. Mm. Do you have anything else planned outside of this universe at all? Cool. Um, not for the time being. <laughs> in the immediate future. Uh, no, I have. Um, I have other, other projects that I've, that I've been that I've been working on. Um, working on one sort of psychological thriller, um, which I've been been tinkering with for a while. Uh, it's a bit again, a bit bit different, but um, I think science fiction is always something I've wanted to have a go at writing. I write a lot of horror as well, but I think science, I've always been a big fan of science fiction and a lot of different. A lot of science fiction films, I've written a lot of science fiction authors. I mean, if you ask me my favourite authors, probably a good four or five of them would be science fiction authors um, rather than horror authors. So um, it's, yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm absolutely loving. But it's probably a little bit of a, a, little bit of a departure from, from what I would normally usually uh, working on. Okay, and, and just one last time, if you would remind the people listening where they can, where they can buy the book. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's available now on uh, Amazon uh, as an e-book uh, for your Kindle or other reading device. Uh, and um, you can also uh, say the book actually comes out at Edgelit on the 11th of July. From that point onwards, it will be available on the Tickety Boo Press website um, as a paperback. And I'm sure you won't take too much pester into sign books. Oh, of course not, of course not. I've, I've, I've been waiting 30 years for the right to sign a book. <laughs> I'm be very excited indeed. Do you have yourself like a writer's tank top or maybe a writer's jacket with oh, sweet elbows? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a pipe for the lot. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> loving every minute. I'm, I'm going to sign it even if you don't ask me. You just <laughs> when you buy one, I'm just going to sign it. Like Run it around the side. Yeah. Take a TK out of your bag and sign it. And I guess just to remind people where you can be contacted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, will say the Boo Books website is at boobooks.net. Um, you can check out all our books, current and previous, and all the latest news on there. If you want to uh, find out more about my writing, uh, my writing is at the very uh, matter of fact name of the website, alexblogsabout.com. <laughs> so that's just why I'm blogging about What's stuff. What's that website cover? <laughs> it's, it's a blog about all sorts of things. Um, but no, that's, that's, that's where you find it. And, um, there's contact details on, on both those websites as well if you want to get in touch. I, mean, I always love to hear from people what they think of what's out there. Um, I'm always happy to do advice. It's one of the things I really try and, uh, you know, I get a lot of people asking, oh, what do I do about this? And You're I'm, a giver. I, um, You're a giver. I, I like to. I, but, you know, I think the thing is that, that people underestimate is, is in the field of, of writing is, you know, you, people will come to you and then you can go to other people. It's a really reciprocal thing. So I don't, you know, never... Um, They'd like to turn it away. Right? No, no, I'm not telling you that. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's all. It's all for the good. If, if the whole scene is thriving and everyone's everyone's doing well, absolutely. You're gonna uh, you're gonna finish this, as it were, on another extract of the book. Mm-hmm. I would just like to say this opportunity. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Don't be a stranger. Of course not. Of course not. You know where to find me. <laughs> so.
so this one follows straight on from what we heard at the very head of the show. Um, and this is a ceremony known as First Worship. Within hours, the clearing is witness to a scene unlike any in the short history of Gen M. Larders have been emptied and food lies on crude tables where both men and women eat greedily. None think about the next sun-up. They eat as though they have never eaten, gorging until their stomachs grow bloated. In one corner, an unseen man has overstuffed himself more than any other and vomits loudly into a stand of trees. Some of the food lies upon the floor, trodden upon by bare feet, but still is devoured by hungry hands and mouths. Let us eat! Eat like we shall never eat again! A high-pitched voice cries, and instantly the feeding frenzy intensifies. But feasting is not the only act of pleasure evident around the temple. To one side, a dancing circle was broken out, three women playing the simplest of drums with a fervour that sucks the crowd into a hypnotic rhythm. None of the Nukari have ever danced before, and the movements are jerky, often arrhythmic. Some find the beats of the music, while others simply fling limbs and heads around with abandon, not caring what the music is, but for the fact that there is music. The result is a swirling mass of bodies, some pressing against each other, others seeking isolation, their own space to explore the movements of their bodies. Each is lost in a new world, a world of sound and ecstasy. Apius watches the dancers from the sidelines, choosing not to join them. He knows that he is the originator of the ceremony, but he must not partake of it himself. No, Arenok must not debase himself like this. He has a duty to his followers. They must know this pleasure. They must find it at the heart of them to forget duty and endless work. This is significant, he knows, and he must take in every aspect of the sights before him without losing himself. He leaves the dancers to their furious patterns, passes the desperate feeders at the centre of first worship. For there is something more going on at the ceremony, something he had not expected. At the outer edge of the clearing there is a small clutch of men, only four or five, but what they do is so extraordinary they cannot help but watch. They are fighting. The Renook moves in more closely, and the offense and defense pauses for a moment. But Apius simply nods and bids them to continue. None of them question further, and the slowest to respond to the Renault's command find their faces crushed with clenched fists. Fighting, Apius thinks to himself, was an unlikely outcome. Only in this moment, freed of all their rules and strictures, have they seen fit to fight. He would not even recognize it if he had not heard and seen the creatures of the forest doing the very same thing from the small and clumsy Echen through to the vicious jewels of the High El. Seems to be the way of nature, he reflects, the way of all life. Perhaps there is even something unnatural in the fact that they have never fought. Did the Animex fight like this? Combat between God and God, creators turned destroyers? Surely such a thing must be if their children have this capacity of conflict within them. There seems no, to be no... There seems to be no routine to the combat, no pattern. Who has ever thought to develop rules for this situation? The fight is not over pride or honour. It is simply a fight because there is the will to fight. The five men, he counts them now, have no particular aggressor, but lash out at the nearest person to them. They seem to absorb the blows with fist and elbow, with delight equal to the successful strikes they land. Causing pain, and feeling pain, seems to be their unique pleasure. And perhaps something more. Apius revels in the stunning scene, limbs twisting to punch and kick, throws launching bodies to the remorseless floor. He sees their grimaces as jaws are rocked by fists, and headbutts connect with crunching force, and sweat breaks out on exhausted faces. But still they do not stop. 
What could make them stop? Under the moons, the Renok watches it all. He watches his people gorge and revel and fight. First worship succeeded beyond his imagination. Through the wonders of time and space and technology, you did just listen to an interview with myself and Alex. This has been recorded a week later. Um, I'm joined this evening by Katie and Rob. Greetings, people. Hello. Hello, we're Northern. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will be discussing um, the first five episodes of Babel Pines, and we're also going to be looking at Tom Cruise's sci-fi outputs. So if you want to see, if you, there's a film Tom Cruise is in where he's a 50-year-old man who's incredibly athletic, or he saves the human race, or he pilots a spaceship. There's a film like that you really want to see and haven't seen yet, but chances are you might discuss it. So want to turn off now. I take it you guys are up to speed on Wayward Pines. Pretty much. I think we're up to we episode on? five or six. Episode five. I think it's episode five, yeah. So we're pretty much up to date. I can't kind even of recall a show in recent memory where they've kind of jumped the shark as of the fifth episode. In what sense? In the sense that it's got bloody stupid and very far <laughs> from the original concept. <laughs> very funny. Or maybe this is the original concept and the rest was just a ruse. The rest mm-hmm. was just a ruse. <laughs> Possibly. I just, I don't, don't feel it's been signposted at all. It's a hard show to kind of pin down to what it actually is, which I, I find quite intriguing. I like it. I, I one, like one second. That. One, I'm sorry. One second. Let's just—we've given spoiler warning. Let's just bring people up to speed of what has happened. Because I'm presuming that they're listening to this point, either they've seen it or they just don't care. So, <laughs> do you want to fill us in what was revealed in the last episode? Crikey! It turns out that Wayward Pines is actually set, or supposedly set, quite a long time in the future, which is kind of fantastical. We now know that the surrounding area of Wayward Pines has strange humanoid-like creatures that mm-hmm. prevent people from trying to escape. Or They're extremely vicious. Extremely vicious that may have been what humankind turned into, and uh, which try and explain away, the uh, again, the fact that we're so far in the future. Uh, that was generally the, the big revelatory secret, which came from uh, the, uh, the teacher at the school going through with the kids and kind of using the propaganda on them. Mm. Teacher at the school. Teacher That's at the my school. Big part with it all. As, <laughs> as I understood it, Toby Jones's character, yeah. while waiting between phone calls from Marvel to go off and make money, That's it. Toby Jones's character had decided that the mankind was going to evolve into those monster things, and as a result of which he suspended some people in um, animation that he could take forward to the future and they would preserve mankind. Are we all on the same wavelength so far? What? Yes, although my only issue is, and major spoilers, is it not that the nurse, I'm doing inverted commas, nurse... Finger bunnies. Finger bun- podcast. All finger bunnies. Finger Great, bunnies. but yeah, I know, really horrific for a podcast. Um, <laughs> she has appeared when uh, people are going to be, I don't know, transported into wayward pines, however this might be happening. Because I just keep thinking... It's M. Night Shalaman, isn't it? Yeah. And I think of the village and how he did the whole little twists in in that. I won't give that away, but yeah. 
it's got that kind of thing has got me doubting everything that we're seeing right now and I'm still not trusting what we're being shown is is the truth, especially you know the that propaganda. Thing. I I don't. Oh, oh, it's twisting <laughs> with my head. I need to keep watching it. Yeah, I think well, this being is, twisted. Yeah, but it's it's turning into a real marmite of a show where Rob and I are really loving it. And Can you then, see this? I'm just throwing oh, my hands oh. wildly. <laughs> Excellent for the podcast. Excellent. Yeah. And then Mr. Sue over there, you're, you're not so on board with it, are you? No, sir, not one bit. This is, this is <laughs> but this is good because this is we good. can have... It creates the debate. <laughs> okay, Although I would like to, not to put words in his mouth, but Darius has said he initially hated it and he's starting to come around to it a little yeah. bit. So. I think that's made my way easy all today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is he secretly watching Wayward Pines? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, so as I understand it, and you, you may disagree or you correct me if I'm wrong. Stop me if I'm wrong. Sorry? Stop me if I'm wrong. Toby Jones has decided that he's going to save mankind and he's brought them all forward to the future where he's taken them out of suspended animation mm. in order to populate the place. Allegedly. However, they've decided their future is the children. So their big genius master plan is they're going to tell the kids why they're here, but told the kids not to tell their parents. Yeah. His whole plan hinges <laughs> on the fact that these children are going to tell their parents. That's it, but you got to remember there's people out there listening to you. Again, Again, his whole plan hinges on the fact that these kids won't tell their parents. But did you not think it was a bit kind of Hitler youth, especially with the bit at the end with the candles and the weird... What was that about? Why would yeah, I think and the weird candles? bang... Oh, no, that was really irritating. Yeah. But it's a, I think they're hoping that the kids, a bit like Hitler youth, will be, um, you know, they'll dob on parents when they're... They're not doing you know, when they're not doing as... Yeah, exactly. I honestly yeah. think you've given this a lot more thought than they have. <laughs> Which is a good thing. And you should I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't completely disagree with you, Mr. Mm. Stu, though. Even though I'm loving the show, I don't disagree with you. Why not tell the adults? What what have they got to lose from telling? Is it the adults have got more powers to try and leave and that would upset the balance in Wayward Pines and we'd have chaos? Is that what? why? Maybe the story is so fantastical the parents wouldn't believe it anyway. But if the children are the future, why do they need the parents? You just made me think about the song. Yeah, they have to leave the children in the future. future. Sorry. I think it's if you brainwash the (laughs) if you brainwash the children to believing what it is, then they'll in turn teach their kids, and you'll keep everybody in one place. Happy, you're gonna less likely have people wanting to wander off. But this is a TV show. This is a so TV show. So you know it's not gonna go that way. So yeah, it's not gonna go down that way. Plus, I mean, we're, we're finding. I, I don't for one second, as much as I like the show, think it will pay off at all. No, I've got no no belief <laughs> it's going to. But somebody, I, at this point in time, I am intrigued. Somebody pointed out to me um, complimentary copies, indeed. Oh, yes. Hey. The music for this very podcast. Good song. Big Good. shout out. <laughs> he points out at one point, Matt Damon had this look at Matt Damon. It's not Matt Damon, is it? Matt what? Dylan. Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. Yeah. Matt Dillon. <laughs> Matt Dillon has this look of terror on his face. It's almost like he's been reading the script as he's making the show. <laughs> 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 I, I think as Matt Dillon's got older, that's kind of his, his permanent expression. 
I think we've completely come to an end of that then. Wayward Pines, um, it's not for everybody. It's well, not. It's, it is divisive, but... No, but I think we should talk about it in the next podcast. I think we can have a, <laughs> we can every podcast on yeah. five minutes on Wayward Pines. I think Pines. we should do an update every time. <clears throat> I, I think Stu. so. Just so Mr. Stu watches yeah, it yeah. and keeps up to speed. <laughs> 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 to, force him, to force Mr. Stu to keep watching it. That's it. Yeah. Savvy. Like, you know this song, uh, Where They Just Sleep Last Night? We, yeah. could, call, we, we could call every installment, couldn't we? Where They Just Sleep Last Night. Just for that, I'm game. <laughs> is anyone else lost? <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, no, uh, I, I, if, last thing on Wayward Pines, it takes a lot these days for get me to sit down and watch a TV show with my full undivided attention, and Wayward Pines can do that. Whether that's a good or bad, it's rare. Maybe the killing. I think Game of Thrones can do it. The killing's probably done it. I think recently. Uh, rec- uh, certainly recently, Handle recent shows. One. I, I lost it. Handle series one. I got bored, but this for some reason keeps my attention. But we're in it five. But we're in on episode five. five. Yeah. That I'm still that's waiting to ruin it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we will. Okay, next next podcast that we will check back to see how, how we're uh, dealing with the states of the pines. And we can get Darius's. We'll get Darius's viewpoint on it. Take on it. Yeah, as well. See, we're going to move on sporting now. He can, he can work out which side of the fence he sits on. He can come up with a really good theory, <laughs> kind of an answer lullaby, alibi, rather, as to why he didn't attend tonight and um, what he thinks of the show. Damn straight. Okay. When I was talking with... Uh, get serious again now. <laughs> <laughs> when I was talking with Alex uh, regarding his novel, he said he was trying to set it um, in almost like Eden... Um, at the beginning of time, because he sees a lot of sci-fis with spaceships. Yep. So my question to you, the panel, can we think of any other sci-fis with a kind of um, biblical sort of Garden of Eden setting? Pandorum, I think, has... Uh, if, you, if anyone who's out there has not seen it, I don't think we should go spoilers on it, because it's actually a very intriguing film. Again, not for everybody, it's a bit polarising, but it's, it's very much about a guy who wakes up from hypersleep on a spaceship, Shit's gone down, he doesn't know, and it's about finding out, and that's kind of... Find out kind of what's gone on in the ship, and it's really good. Ben Foster is brilliant and everything, and doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, very, very good film, if anyone wants to watch it. It's, it's on, I think, well, it was on Netflix, it's just been taken off the past. It was 2009. 2009. It's, uh, it about five for an that's where I got my copy from. Probably, yeah. yeah so. oh, okay. Yeah. Um, remember more about it than I do. <laughs> I think I watched it the once. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was good. It was better. It's one of those films that was better than I expected. So, to me, uh, if I remember correctly, it's very similar to sort of Event Horizon yes. or Sunshine, that kind of thing. Yeah, it does very much have that kind of feel to it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. So okay, that, that's good. certainly one I'd think of. Okay, uh, no, you're under no pressure, but can you think of any others? For a, a Garden of Eden type feel to science fiction film, Prometheus maybe. Mm. That yeah. could be, you know, distant planet saving the future, and we got to see back in time with a stupid marshmallow man at the start. And I, God, was, that was I would awful. never it was compare awful. that man sequel. to a marshmallow. It's kind of if you shaped marshmallows into a man. That that's looked looked like. really <laughs> big and scary. Yeah, and made of marshmallows. 
I really found some marshmallows now. <laughs> Stopping there's resistance, right? <laughs> um, I can't think of any. Well, I think it's fair to say that Alex may have cornered a marker. Yeah, yes. I think he's made a good point there. I mean, I'm certainly intrigued to read the book, so I will be picking up a copy. So, um, yeah, I think that he could. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a read. I think just randomly I've got it in my head, there's some kind of um, Warhammer 40,000 novels that may be going down that similar direction, but possibly. But they're, they, that sounds they, niche. They're very niche, and they do tend to go on a tangent. <laughs> Speaking of tangents... So, yeah, we, we were trying to put positive vibes back out there in the universe, yeah. um, and we were talking about spaceships and such. So I suggested to you guys during the week that we should all pick a sci-fi movie we really like and talk about it. Not in much detail, just sort of champion it and um, recommend us to others. I, I set out thinking of something obscure, and I remembered I'm a Cyborg, uh, directed by Chan Woo Park, who's the same chap responsible for Old Boy um, and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, both of which I rate very highly. Now, before I go any further, I've just got to say I don't feel qualified to speak about this movie, purely because it's part of Korean culture. And I'm sure there are a lot of nuances to the culture and indeed the movie industry that I never pick up on. Um, so my, my reading of it is a somewhat handicapped one of it to start with. I love watching Korean movies because once I've watched them, I go onto um, Wikipedia and read the synopsis. And they're completely different from what I got from the movie nine times out of ten. It always, <laughs> it always makes me feel special. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, the movie I picked to have a quick look at and champion to you this evening was I'm a Cyborg from 2006. I wrote a synopsis of my own very briefly, I'm just going to read it out to you. From a young age, uh, the bell on her bicycle convinced Chai Young-Goon that she was not she was a cyborg. Her mother is thankful for self-diagnosis because at least she's not schizophrenic like her grandmother. Grandmother believes she'd been given birth to mice and constantly at radishes, and as a result, was sent to a sanitarium. But when taken away, she left behind the dangers. And Chai Young-Goon is cycling after the ambulance and the bell on her bicycle, and the bell on her bicycle speaks to her. We cut to the present day, from the start of the film, where um, Chai Young-Goon's working on a production line in a radio factory. And there's um, a, like information playing on a loudspeaker. And the loudspeaker's telling her that she is an android and that she needs to repair herself which leads to her uh, electrocuting herself on the conveyor belt, which sends her to a sanitarium, which is where the main story takes place. She strikes up an unlikely friendship with a chap called Park Il-Sun, who has his own mental health issues, and the film is all about him trying to convince her that she really is a cyborg. I'm sure I've oversimplified that, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm sure I've missed a lot, like I said, a lot of culture nuances. That, it's, it's a fantastic film, and that's the basic setup. It sounds incredibly yeah, original. You've got me I, intrigued. I'm, <laughs> I'm just sat here aghast, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> uh, just, just to explain, that most of the film is actually spent uh, is actually spent in the sanitarium, and it's the, like this weird mixture of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and um, Michelle Gordy's signs of sleep. It's like a mixture of those two. Um, it kind of inhabits the crawl space between the grown-up world and sort of like childlike fantasy, very similar to Pan's Labyrinth, which was actually released in the same year. 
as was Science of Sleep. It was a very good year for Weird Dance Movies. Also, though, there's shades of uh, Hugo in it. You know Martin Scott's Age yeah, Hugo yeah, yeah. about the robotic boy? That's it. A few shades of that. Um, and all of the characters, most of the characters in it, they have mental illnesses, so they're allowed to clean out their fantasies and have their own quirks. Uh, much like you'd find in a Wes Anderson movie. You know, like a Wes Anderson movie is when all the characters are sort of like regressing to childhood, or they all have very kind of childlike obsessions. It's the same here. The visuals are absolutely amazing. Have you ever seen uh, Lady Vengeance? Let's say so, sympathy for Lady Vengeance, or like Old Boy. It's the same kind of visual palette. Oh, so, like, I love Old Boy. Original, yeah. The colours are fantastic, and it's just one flight of fantasy after another. Um, at the 45 minute mark, her hands turn into machine guns, and it all gets very serious when she starts to massacre the hospital staff. And she, she <laughs> walks around the place and starts shooting everybody. It's just like that film Lucy. Yeah, it sounds a bit like Lucy. <laughs> It, it is it's just great and like there's a couple of musical numbers in it. At one point the um the male character starts shouldering and um they're both in their separate cells for the night. They've got a like a um string radio between them, two yeah. cups, one to each year. And he, he says to her, basically, come and see me and he starts shouldering and all of a sudden they cut to a mountainside somewhere. She has on a pair of socks that another one of the patients has made, which she rubs together because uh, they're flight socks. And all of a sudden, this bug flies into the room and picks up a bed and flies off of her. I think I think I said too much anyway, but it is a really surreal but enjoyable it, film. So do you think, sort of how you're describing it, do you think it is a sci-fi film, or is well, it no, a film is, talking about... Mental I, health issues. Absolutely. I think it's more of a flight of fantasy than it is sci-fi. Oh, okay. um, and I feel really stupid in that respect because I actually set the homework. Not only have I done the homework incorrectly, I set it. How stupid am I? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's a great film. Um, one I'd recommend everybody take a look at if, if they get the chance. It's it's beautifully shot. Um, it's, it's great. It looks, into it looks into mental health issues. Some great characters in it. I would seriously recommend the film. Awesome. I mean, okay. you've, you've sold it to uh, me. Yeah, you've sold it to me, dude. I'm, I'm quite intrigued to watch it now. So, well, well done, sir. Job done. Is it machine, <laughs> machine Gun Hands? Machine Gun Hands got me interested. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very bizarre. It's all sort of like running around playing table tennis and stuff and talking about oh, I've got no elastic in my trousers my trousers are going to fall down any second. And then all of a sudden she turns into a robot and these machine guns, like, think that her fingers turn into machine guns and she starts, and she doesn't actually shoot them, it's all in her head like this. Yes, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. We'll give it a let's, go. Let's, um, let's move on a little. Sir, you were looking at Oblivion, were you not? I was when the um, the idea came up to champion a, a science fiction movie. I mean, of any ones I could have chose, I was tempted to uh, to go with the Ben Foster movie we talked earlier. But um, yeah, for me, there the really was only one that I could have chose, which was Oblivion. And he, you know, only came out two years ago. And it's it's a film again, much like um, I said before, Wayward Pines, that you know grabbed my interest. Oblivion. I, granted, I, I can honestly see why it's not going to be for everybody and not everybody liked it, but it just grabbed me from the opening minutes and held me 
all the way through. Um, I understand that it's, yeah, it's, I say it's not a perfect film by any stretch, but it's a film that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I know, yeah, in, in, a, in a world of remakes and reimaginings and sequels, especially in the world of science fiction, this was, uh, yeah, and then to be followed by Edge of Tomorrow, I think a year later, you know, it's, it's such a rarity to have a, a, de a definitive so you know solo science fiction film that really stood out. And um, I know, you know, really we have Tom Cruise to thank for it, for all these foibles and people who may not like him. But he re he got a hold of a graphic novel and a script that um, the director Joseph Kas Joseph Kosinski had uh, had written. And he loved it so much that he basically, on the strength of his star power alone, got the film made, got the film financed. And uh, I think he absolutely gives it his all in the film. I mean, Tom Cruise is, you know, probably arguably the leading man. You know, you get act you get actors who are character actors and actors, you know, who are movie stars, and he is the movie star. And I think again, a lot of his his sheer weight of personality carries this film through. Um, certainly on a on a technical level, I think the film looks stunning. Absolutely, absolutely, it has such a beautiful look about it. Even ev it looks like everything's been so well thought out and so perfectly crafted. Everything from where they live to the spacecrafts to then where spoilers the uh, the humans actually live and how how they look before the character's been introduced to what they are. I think it just it it's all fits perfectly. Even the uh, the machines that are sucking the seawater off the planet, such a brilliant and evocative image. And um, certainly when the you know the twist comes round, it, it was I knew there was more to it. And when the twist came, I was genuinely surprised and pleasantly so. And and we. As there's very few films as well. I know it's very much a Tom Cruise vehicle. I mean, why would he do these films otherwise? Um, but there's, there's brilliant moments of, of pure character that just shine through. You know, we've got this guy who's this kick-ass technician, flies around spacecrafts, good on a bike, shoots things and everything. But then we get to see this wonderful moment of humanity where he finds this little piece of of Earth, of, of, of real life, of sanctum, where he finds that, you know, he's, he's got this park, he's got a sh like a wooden shack, where he's found things from from the olden days, and he just kind of goes back and lives briefly in this, this other life that's away from, you know, his, his you know, the people who are in charge of him, really. And it, it just, it just, it really, something about the film just really, really got to me and really works and grabbed my interest. And I, I think we need to mention as well is, is the phenomenal soundtrack by the band M M83. I think uh, the movie Tron was rightly rightly so lauded for having, you know, this fantastic kind of uh, te um, techno soundtrack that was you know done and really good. But I think for me personally, and I, I'd, I'd stand, you know, I'd argue the toss with anyone here. This stands up against that, and maybe just maybe even surpasses it. I've, I've, I've never ever watched a film and then downloaded the soundtrack straight afterwards. Never. And I, I, I've never, you know, I'm just not, I'm, as much as I love films, I'm not that fussed about movie soundtracks. And I've had this soundtrack on my phone for two years now. Wow. And um, I, I know there's maybe third act problems. I know people have had issues with them, with, 
yeah, it, it almost becomes a bit too easy. But f- for me, I, 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 when I got to that point, I needed that that kind of standard climax, really. And, you know, the, the traditional Hollywood ending, as it were, and the happy ending. But for me, the, the film had earned that. The, oh. fil- the film had got us to that point, and I, I wanted it to carry over, carry me over the edge, and it did. Honestly, I can see why people wouldn't like it. I cannot fault that film for my own viewing. Fantastic. Well, what, what about yourself, Katie? Did you enjoy it? I, I really love the film Oblivion. Um, I think... If if I think just back to what I like, I think it was it just felt um, slick. Someone had done their homework with it. Like you say, the soundtrack was fantastic. I love that kind of sense of isolation, and they really explore that. and uh, And I love sort of the the are you an effective team and the checking in <laughs> on one another, and the mysterious, almost creepy nature of the people up at, uh, at the base above Earth. And, and you're just waiting for something to happen there with them. And I think, yeah, just generally, it's a, it's a bloody good film. It sounds very British. A, it is a, just <laughs> a really, it's just a really, it's just a really good film. And I think, you know, it did need to have someone charismatic in in the lead. It didn't necessarily have to be Tom Cruise, but he really carries it off. So, and I'm, I'm, I am a fan of, I know he's not always the most popular choice, but I'm, I am a big fan of Tom Cruise and I have been for quite a long time, if you take his personal stuff out of it all. <laughs> which, which ideally, given his beliefs, surely he should be science fiction hero every time. Yes. <laughs> the man worships aliens. Exactly, exactly. Indeed. For myself, this movie, um, I've read some shocking reviews, so my expectations weren't particularly high. I very much enjoyed about the first 45 minutes. I thought the production design was amazing. Mm. I liked the story of him sca- um, on the um, scavenging across the burnt earth. I mm. thought it was fantastic. Yeah. It gets to the point where Morgan Freeman's introduced, and I turned off. I think, it, like, you, like you've already said, but for me, it was, it was certainly more of a negative. It become very Hollywood, a very standard sort of almost Independence Day ending. Yeah. When they go into the spaceship, they have to park the spaceship. True. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think there was a, it was a great first 45 minutes. The first hour was okay, and then after that point, you lose me. That's not to say um, there's nothing of merit there. Like I said, the production design, the spaceships, um, the movement of some of the robots and stuff is fantastic. Yeah. I do, with Cruz as an actor, he is the quintessential leading man, but, and you were saying earlier about a star vehicle, I think that's the problem with Cruz, everything becomes a star vehicle, mm. and you can't lose yourself in him as a character, because he's always Tom Cruise, mm. there is no denying that's Tom Cruise, mm. Yeah. purely because his image is so famous, because he has certain quirks and mannerisms. That is Tom Cruise. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I find it hard to engage with him as a last action hero. That said, um, I think we will move on to The Edge of Tomorrow, which was, like you said, shortly after this one. Another fantastic sci-fi movie, I felt. What is its other working title? Oh, Lived, Lived, I, Lived I Kill Repeat. 
it's something like that. Has it not actually yeah. been released? All, as all that you need now? is kill and live, die, repeat with the other ones. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's been released as that now, and they've not gone with the Edge of Tomorrow title. I tend to think of it as Groundhog Troopers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I it should have loved, been called. We'll yes, love that. <laughs> AKA Groundhog, Groundhog Troopers. But I, I, get, I think with that film, much like Oblivion, the you know the, up until the third act, there's no you know it's brilliant. But I think once you get away from the time travel aspect of it, I think then it struggles again. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do. I think it could have been. It could have done with a higher rating in terms of violence. Mm. I think there was some great, some great scenes of that. Especially, I think at one point, does he break his leg or something? Yeah. He says, "No, no, don't kill me. I've got it. Oh no, shit, kill me." Yeah. Yeah, that's quite <laughs> funny. But I, I think you could have really kind of built that kind of gore. It's a bit more gore. I think it is very, very rare to get a an R-rated sci-fi that movie these be. days, which which is a shame because some of the best ones, your Predators, your Terminator, Aliens, are R-rated. And uh, I think uh, it's something uh, that's sorely missed in, in Hollywood. I just thought there was some real gallows humour there. The fact like he was he was trying to keep himself in one piece, so he put in the no, 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 you have to kill me, so I'll come back again. Mm. And you could have had a bit more fun with that. Have just been a bit more over the top and embellished a bit more. Perhaps. But that takes nothing away from the film. If it was a great film, mm. having seen the trailer, I thought I'd seen it all before. And yet, I, I was suitably entertained by it. Uh, for a good hour and 10-15 minutes maybe. I was a bit concerned because I'm not a massive fan if we comparing to Groundhog Day that <laughs> um, I got quite bored quite quickly with this idea of a day being repeated I just get bored with it but it, it wasn't so bad with uh, Edge of Tomorrow because it, it was very it was sci-fi but it was also very action so mm. you know I think the way that the way they um, they directed and edited the whole going back in time things, I think they somehow managed to repeat the same day yet keep the narrative moving at a very yeah, good pace. It wasn't dragged out no. the same way that it it was at, in points with Groundhog Day. Yes. Not that I want to compare it, but how many other films are there where the days are there it's any other repeated. films where days are repeated? That's the only. I think the two standards. Yeah, we'll keep that on the download, dude. <laughs> Sliding doors, troopers. That would be yeah, amazing. Like... <laughs> hey, Gwyneth Paltrow has been an, turned ass. into an action star at the end of Iron Man 3. Anything's possible. Tell me, what did you guys think of Emily Blunt in this movie? Uh, that, that woman kicks ass. She was good. She was good. I've uh, I've seen quite a few, well, not quite a few. I've seen a few of her performances. She's never on anything other than good. I think... Um, I, I like... I like her in uh, Death Wears Prada. She's fantastic in that. Such, you know, she plays such a good bitch. Yeah. Um, she can carry that off really well. She's a, she's a strong. You get that sense of being a strong person. And she needs to be snapped up by Marvel to play Captain Marvel ASAP. <laughs> I still think they should have cast her as the Scarlet Witch. But... Now I don't mind Elizabeth Olsen in that role. It just needs to be written better for her. That's okay. Just throw back to the light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the positive. Step no, aside, I think uh, I think Emily Blunt deserves better, better and bigger roles. I think I've seen her in a wide variety of roles, and I'm very impressed with her. Absolutely. And I think again in this, she showed a different side to her I've not seen, and I thought she was faultless. Again, I think my again it's the problem with Cruz in that I felt he played the same character in both movies. 
he is the same character and everything. Even I think the only times he's ever really stepped away from it have been stepped away from himself. Probably been Magnolia and Born on the Fourth of July. It's it's oh, very. Well, hang on, hang on. Uh, what's the one where they're in the jungle? Oh, Tropic Thunder, <laughs> Tropic. yes. But it's. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, was it Len Grossman or something yeah. like that? Sorry, I really. But, uh, yeah, that is funny. But yeah, I mean, it, it's very rare that he steps out of being Tom Cruise. Um, oh. But I mean, at least we're away from the kind of the 80s Tom Cruise movies where, as someone most you know, brilliantly put, every 80s Tom Cruise movie can be summed up by he starts off awesome. He's, he kind of forgets he's awesome halfway through, but by the end it's okay. He's awesome. <laughs> I look. There is nothing wrong with Tom Cruise playing Tom Cruise. It, it gets bums on seats. They set, look. If, if it if it was that bad a thing, then we wouldn't still see Tom Cruise on our screens. But no, there I is something very charming about Tom Cruise and how he plays Tom Cruise in most of those movies. <laughs> and the first film for me that is a Tom Cruise movie is, of course, Top Gun. And you can't <laughs> deny Top Gun. I'm sorry. It's the gayest film ever made. Top Gun is an amazing film. And if you haven't seen it or you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it. I'm now going to take to shouting you down because it doesn't star a spaceship. Does anybody remember War of the Worlds? Hey. Yeah, it's. Uh, I... You're not a fan. No, no, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> the only problem is that when I went to the cinema to see War of the Worlds, it was so loud, uh, I came out with a headache. <laughs> I do believe it was the sound, not the film. Um, I don't know. I think just because there's certain parts that I don't like, just because it made me feel uncomfortable. Just because it. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It made a me feel uncomfortable. Film. The bit with um, when they're down in the cellar Tim and Robbins. Tim Robbins is there, and yeah, but maybe it was you know it was meant to make me feel like that, but it doesn't make I I think of that and go, oh, do I really want to go back and watch that? And it's quite stark. I mean, I, I do like it. It's a, it is a good mm. film. I just it's it's not immediately a film that I go, oh yes, I must watch that again. So it didn't strike me as a particular blockbuster. It wasn't no. sort of a popcorn movie, was it? Like you said, it's very uncomfortable in places. There's a lot of tension. Yes. If Roland Emmerich had made it, it would have been a very different film. It's yeah. only because of Spielberg made it that they allowed it to go in that dark and bad field. Right, well, that brings us uh, nicely around to Minority Report. <laughs> and um, it's the first DVD that I ever owned. Crikey. You own a lot now. I own a lot more than that now, yeah. <laughs> but Minority Report was a brilliant film uh, which sort of centred around using... Oh, what were they? Cognitives? Yes, they were. Precogs. Precogs, sorry. Precogs. Um, who could predict crimes and Tom Cruise and his team would sweep in and save people from uh, being victims of these potential crimes which sort of had all these kind of other sort of uh, things around it all. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for a film that came out in 2002, it still looks bloody good today. Yeah, I watched, um, when I, because it was the one DVD that I owned, of course I watched every sort of shred of extras 
on it. And <laughs> they really had done their research in talking to experts about predicting the future and future technologies. So they really were trying to create as realistic a, a future as they possibly could. So, I mean, just saying that now, I'd love to go back and actually see what were the things in that film that were predicted <laughs> that are being used now because the film is how old now? Uh, well over 10. Was it? Yeah, 13 yeah. years. So 13 years gone. So 30, with 13 years gone, how much that they predicted are we now? I mean, we have touch They have those big scenes where they're moving things around with their hands on huge um, sort of touch screens and we're very much becoming a touch screen culture. So there's that. Um can't remember what other what other futuristic things do they have in that. Well, quite a few. I'm just reading here that uh, apparently three years before uh, the actual production, the film actually went into production. Steven Spielberg assembled a team of 16 future experts, whatever that is. That's what I said. In Santa Monica <laughs> to brainstorm out the year 2054. And I'm just looking at the type of people they had involved. You got a, pro a professor of MIT, at MIT, a director of biomedical research. You got uh, the dean of the School of Architecture and so they've, they've assembled quite a crowd. I think all that kind of research really shows on screen. They really did Absolutely. think about it. I mean, and then, of course, you put Tom Cruise in the middle of Naturally. it all. To sell it. <laughs> to anchor it in the, 20, in the 20th century or 21st century, case Yeah. I mean, what, what well, do you think, Mr. Stu? What did I think? Mm. I must confess, it's been quite some time since I've seen it. I remember being blown away by the visuals, mm. and I really liked Colin, Colin Farrell's performance in this. Mm. I seem to remember that being particularly strong. Yeah, cause this is just when he was kind of breaking out. I think this was around the time of um, Tigerland and, oh god, the one with Phone booth. booth, yeah. Was it Phone Booth? It was yes. Phone Booth. Two films I'm a very big fan of. So, I think... Yeah, um, I think Colin Farrell, um, yeah, Colin Farrell is, um, he's an actor who started, had a lot of promise back in the day and seems to not be getting the right roles today because I think he's an, an astounding actor and he needs a kind of, for me, a, like a Robert Downey Jr. Junior career renaissance and a, a major movie. He was really, really good in uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Yes, yes, he was. Talking, about talking about him now come... Um, true Detective. Uh, I think he'll probably give yeah. him a, a boost, a but a boost. I do think he was excellent in saving Mr. Banks. Okay, well, he's, he's one of those actors that I, I'm. If you tell tell me to think of a, a bad performance, I'd struggle because even a bit like Sam Rockwell, even in bad films, he's still good. He seems to rise to the top, doesn't he? He does. I was going to say actually earlier, going back to Oblivion, mm. I thought Sam Rockwell would be quite good in that role. Well, he was good in Moon for all the for a film I, I really struggle oh, to like. Lovely. It's um, yeah, I think again Sam Rockwell's one of them. I mean, he's in the new Poltergeist, which is meant to be awful, but all reviews say he's good. So, so yeah, he's good in everything. Yeah, he? he's just good in everything. Can I can I just um, recommend In Bruges for anyone that wants to see a good <laughs> Colin Farrell film? Uh, but also, I've forgotten um, he was also in Fright Night. <laughs> which was also very good. So just a couple of recommendations. There'll there. be a lot of people who disagreed with you on that one of the uh, consensus. But I'm on what you. on I Fright think, Night. I think Fright Night's great. Fright Night was brilliant. <laughs> you make me loving a vampire. You've got my attention. 
as a random thing, random. I was throwing We're going that. off tangent. We're going off tangent. <laughs> it's, it's worth noting as well that Minority Report's going to be made into a TV show, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so I've heard. I, I, it's going to cost a lot of money to pull off. Um, I, I, that's very much one I, I will believe in the quality of it when I see it. I would love to see uh, This is the first time hearing of it, and I would love to see that. I would love to see that. If the TV show starred Sam Rockwell, I'd be into it. As long as they don't do what they did with, um, oh, what's the Quentin Tarantino film? Dusty Dawn? Yeah. Where they they just retell it, like, just let's take the original story and stretch it out. It it wasn't a bad thing, but, like, I couldn't deal with that with Minority Report. I, I need something a bit more original with the world that they've created. Yeah. And by the, by the, like you like you started by saying, they developed that world very well, so you'd have thought there'd be places to play within that world, wouldn't you? Definitely, there's there's definitely more places for the story to go. It was a very well self-contained story, but there's a lot more to that world that we don't see. Mm, 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 mm. Much so, as, much in the same way as like a Blade Runner, if they did a, I know they're doing a remake film of that, or certainly a sequel, but. I think a Blade Runner TV show would work really well as well. I mean, I wonder if they're going to start by um, how they discover the precogs and then the, you know, it, it's meant to be a little bit controversial mm. when we join it at, at that point in yeah, their world. kind of how pre-crime started. Yeah, so I wonder if it's sort of just the beginnings of, of, all, of all of that. That, that could work. I'm, I'm intrigued. Absolutely. It's essentially, I can imagine it's going to be a cop show set in the future. Yeah. Yes, I would have thought so. I would have thought this special effects will probably be in the pilots, mm. and they'll have like limited special effects throughout, like the big money will go into the pilot, which fair, usually is the way. To be fair, just to add last thing, Continuum kind of pulled it off that, that off quite well for a, for a start. So, and so, so I you hear, know, I you never know. The first couple of episodes, but I know people who are very much into it. Mm. Okay, well look, we, we've spent some time talking, um, so we're coming to a close for this evening. Just want to remind everybody that our guest at the at the front of the podcast was none other than Alex Davis. Yeah. Uh, his new blog, his new novel, The Last War, is available now as an ebook on Amazon, and will be available to purchase after the 11th of July um, in person at the Edgeley uh, Festival at Quad in Derby. Tickets are still available at the Quad website, or can be collected from the box office, and maybe some left on the day. And also from his website, which is boombooks.net. Uh, my thanks to Alex for joining us on the podcast. I'd also like to thank um, Complimentary Copies, as always, for providing us with our soundtrack. Very cool he is, too. Um, and thank you to you uh, for listening. Until next time, don't be a stranger. Word. Word.